listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I am your host, Mike Petchy. How are you guys? Come on in, grab a seat, grab a beer. Let's hang out. Uh, let's chat a little bit before our guest gets here today. Um, I'm excited to be finally catching up with you guys. It feels like it's been a while since I've been behind the microphone. Um, I, Full disclosure, I recorded this episode, I don't know, over a month ago. Um, and we've just been waiting to release it because there's been a whole lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. Uh, big, exciting news for the show that I'll get to uh, at the back end of this episode. But uh, yeah, sometimes you have to get a guest on the mic while they're in town and then wait a while. Um, and in the interim, I've just been releasing a lot of the queued up episodes. I hope you guys loved the stuff from last week. Uh, we have been deep, deep into post-production for a few weeks at this point. I did uh, an episode on music composition. I did an episode on editing. Um, and uh, we also recorded an episode on the process that I went through to do the most recent job, the Bose gig. Um, and what's crazy about our business, whether you're a director, if you're a photographer, those of you listening, you guys all know, uh, when a job rolls through, everything stops. Your personal life just stops and you jump on this train and you ride it. Um, and luckily, I've had a bunch of shows in queue. So you guys really, I don't think you even noticed that I wasn't around. Um, but uh, getting back behind the mic right now feels a little weird. It's been a while since I've heard my voice. It's been a while since I've projected to you guys, girls out there. So thanks for hanging out. Excited about today's episode. Uh, like I said, I recorded this a while ago. I met today's guest at Cinegear. Now, if you've been following me on Instagram at Mike Petchy or following the podcast at the Love of the Process pod, you saw my post when we did the Cinegear run. Honestly, <laughs> I didn't even think I was going to go do it, right? I had really no interest in going to Cinegear. I have done a bunch of conventions in the past. I've done like countless times at NAB. And oftentimes you just sort of go, you look at new gear and that's kind of it. That's all that really happens. Um, but uh, Kruda was in town, my buddy, David Kruda. And he was like, look, I'm going to Cinegear. Do you want to go? We should all go. And I was like, all right, drag me out. Fucking happy I did. I'll tell you that, man. Uh, not only did I meet today's guest in a weird way, um, but I also got to hang out with my friends over at Frame.io. I got to go to the Adobe party. I get to meet all sorts of new companies, all, all sorts of new manufacturers, bumped into a lot of you fans of the show. A lot of people came up to me and they said, hey, I'm a big fan of In Love With The Process. I had kids come up to me and tell me that they saw 12KM when they went to high school. How fucked up is that? <laughs> it's been that long since I've done this short. It's very weird. Um, also hung out with our friends from Small HD, Creative Solutions. It was a fun fucking time. And I got to sit in the room with like uh, Alyssa, who's been on the show, the cinematographer. She was there. I got to meet a lot of the guests in person, got to hand out some of our guest pins that Zach Matthews uh, made. Big congrats to everybody that got their hands on and in love with the process pin. I warned you. I don't know if they're completely sold out. There may just be a handful left. I think Zach wrote to me yesterday and was like, dude, we're down to like a select few left. Um, so if you haven't got a pin and you want a pin, uh, one of Zach's limited edition ones, head on over to uh, crunchyfingers.com and see if there's any left. 
See if you can get your hands on one. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, man, those pins look really expensive. They're surprisingly affordable. Um, let's see what else is going on. I also had a birthday. So um, if I haven't talked about it already, uh, yeah, I had a great birthday experience. Gina put on a party here at the house. I had a bunch of friends over. My buddy Rick, Rick Darge was here. Uh, Lance was here. Uh, it was a great time. Everybody hung out. We uh, ate way too much. Uh, listened to a lot of music, drank a lot, uh, and it was a blast. Um, and uh, one of our friends, one of our new friends, actually got me these uh, In Love With The Process stickers made, which is really cool. And I'm now in this game because we've been going out and doing a bunch of drinking lately. Um, and I'm now taking stickers with me and I'm placing them in bathrooms all throughout Los Angeles. So keep your eye out when you're standing at a urinal. Maybe you'll see one of the stickers for the show. That means that I was there probably pissing in the same pot as you. <laughs> um, so today's guest, really charming gentleman, very heartfelt, very honest. Um, one of these people that you meet and you immediately connect with. Um, I met today's guest at the Adobe party. Uh, he was on the hunt for another friend of ours and he uh, thought Cruda was his buddy. And he bumped into Cruda and Cruda was like, no, 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 they're over there. And he pointed to me. Um, and uh, I, Victor, today's guest, essentially just flopped down and had a conversation with us and had a conversation with me and the two of us immediately connected. Uh, and we started to talk about um, his history in this industry. We started to talk about supporting artists. We started to talk about collaborators. I talked a bit about the show. He was very excited about what we do here. Um, and uh, the conversation just continued. And then turns out that uh, today's guest, Victor Ha, is the vice president of electronic imaging of the electronic imaging division and optical services. What a great title over at Fujifilm. Pretty fucking cool, right? It's one of those conversations that you genuinely have with someone, genuinely connect with them. And oh, by the way, I also am the guy over at Fujifilm that you want to know. Um, so immediately I was like, well, dude, uh, I like talking to you. You should come on the show. Uh, because the conversation that we had over beers uh, at this Adobe party was essentially a podcast episode. Um, and I'm like, we should get this down because you're really cool, man. And uh, we got to hang out. We got to talk. It's a great interview. He's a really cool guy. And I've talked about sponsors on the show. I've talked about companies on the show. And you guys know my deal. I'm always on the hunt for honest companies that support the artist for um, PR folks that really give a shit about talent um, because I, I want to make sure that we're partnering up with people that love to make things and love to support those of us that love to make things. Um, and so I was excited to get him in the space. I think we had a few beers and we chatted. And then after we finished today's conversation, uh, Victor, Gene, and I went out and had more beers and food and chatted. Um, and then uh, more things happened, which we'll get to at the back end of the show. Um, so strap yourselves in if you want to dig in deep and you want to hear uh, a bit about what Fujifilm is doing these days. Um, and I was saying this to Victor, Fujifilm has such a, a specific prestige, such a specific 
uh, story behind its name for me, right? Because when I got started in this business and I wanted to teach myself to be a cinematographer and I didn't have enough money to go out and buy 35 millimeter film and just blow through it, I decided to pick up still photography and I was shooting with film stuff and I used to love to shoot with Fuji film film, right? That was a big thing. Um, and then as everything sort of transitioned into digital, right? Their competitors for film at that time were what? Kodak, right? You're like, okay, well, what are these guys doing? And a few years ago, Gina was in New York and she did a um, photo shoot and I just rented. I happened to grab a camera off of ShareGrid, by the way. Um, and I rented this camera on ShareGrid it was a little Fuji Street point and shoot. I did some research and I'm like, I just want something small. I want to run. I want to do it. And I forget what number it was. It was a few years ago, but it was great. They had some pretty cool internal sort of black and white lots. And I really enjoyed the black and white stuff. So I just left it on that. And I shot some really cool street stuff, behind the scenes stuff in New York with this little camera. And it was fun to use. Now, I know a lot of you are like, well, I could take great pictures with my iPhone right? Um, I just did that whole fucking commercial for Bose with iPhones, right? Uh, but I still believe this. This is my, my, my take on it all. On, an iPhone to me is used for multiple things at this point, right? It is where I get texts from people. It is where I get hounded from clients. It is where I have to go and post things to promote the show. This is where I access social media. Right? This is now where I have to check my fucking Fitbit and, and decide whether or not I had enough sleep that night or if my heart rate's too high. Uh, turns out my heart rate shoots up when I drink, by the way, which is weird. Um, so this, this one device is literally doing all sorts of things in my house. And so when I hold this device and it's in my hands, my brain sort of clicks into specific modes. Most of the time, my brain is clicking into that I need dopamine mode, right? So you pick this thing up, and you ever notice when you're using your phone and you pick it up for a specific reason, like, hey, I got to write an email to a client, or maybe, hey, I got to log into Instagram and go through the messages and respond to some messages. It distracts you. It just does that. The feed kicks in, something happens. You're like, oh, what is this? You click on it. Next thing you know, it's been 15, 20 fucking minutes. When I'm shooting, when I'm making art, I don't want that. I don't want that. I want to pick up a piece of equipment that makes my brain go, hey, this is a creative tool now. This is an object that, that is going to use this part of my brain. This is an object that is going to stimulate this chemical process within me. That's why I like to have standalone cameras to shoot. It isn't necessarily because certain cameras, which they do, shoot better quality than iPhones do. Uh, it's more about the process, right? And I know I'm plugging the title of the show, but it's true. You know, like if I'm going to cook in the kitchen, I'm not going to pick up my iPhone to cut a cucumber. You know, I actually put my iPhone in the other room. Maybe I'm using at that point to play music. I'm doing another thing with the fucking thing. You know what I mean? Uh, so it's nice to have a camera, right? And I now have some new cameras, which are super exciting. I'll talk to you about those during the ad read of the show. Um, but it's really nice to have like a camera bag, a shooting bag and a camera. And when I pack that thing up and I charge the battery for it and I go out and I look through it and I shoot with it, I'm now thinking like a photographer, which is what I like about it. So today we're going to talk a bit about that. 
We're going to talk a bit about where Victor comes from, how he got started in this business, how he worked in this business, how he transitioned into sales, how he transitioned into marketing, uh, and then how ultimately he's in the world of supporting new talent, developing new talent, developing new artists, the stuff that uh, Fujifilm is doing right now. I'm excited about all of it. Um, and uh, I think you guys will dig this show too. We're going to talk a lot about the new cameras that are coming out with these guys um, and the stuff that we're, Gene and I are playing with, which is super fun. Uh, so strap yourselves in, get ready, uh, crack those beers. Victor's on his way. Throw on your noise canceling headphones, crank them up to 11, and enjoy the brand new episode of In Love with the Process. Victor, thanks for being on the show, dude. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing okay. I just flew in about a couple hours ago, so. Oh, Jesus. So you just flew in this this afternoon? Exactly. And are you just here for today? I'm here for today, and then I go to Cyprus for a couple days to work at the office down there. Oh, nice, man. Nice. Nice. And where is the Fuji offices, and is it in New York City proper? So we're used to be, like, the first office ever uh, in the history of Fujifilm in the U.S. was in the Empire State Building. We're not there anymore, obviously. <laughs> I <laughs> wish be cool. that'd be really cool. Uh, we're in a place in Westchester County called Valhalla. Okay. So you drive up this road, you kind of come past the high school, give you one guess what the, the mascot is. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, are you like pushing your way through hordes of axes and, <laughs> and Vikings? No, no, just high schoolers. Yeah. <laughs> just crossing the street. Yeah, of course that's there. Okay, great. Good guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So go through Valhalla and then it's just like this gigantic office building um, that's like three or four stories and you go in and you're like, oh, so this is where the magic happens. And I remember the first time I walked in, turned the corner and I saw like all the cubicles and just like your basic like office space kind of environment. And I was mm-hmm. like, all right, I'm going to work here. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do something here. Sounds like, okay. sounds like my nightmare, but <laughs> <laughs> do me a favor, pull the microphone closer to you. Let's get, I want the audience to feel the sexy voice. All right, here we go. Oh, oh here we go. <laughs> there it is, dude. <laughs> um, well, I w- I'm excited to have you on the show. We met for the first time, was it last week? The week before last week? We, we met at Cinegear. Yeah, we did. Which, 
I that was my first Cinegear. Is that your first Cinegear that you went to? No, I've been doing that one for a, a good number of years now. Okay, so then you were one of the you one of the assholes that were like, this wasn't as good as when it was on Paramount's backlot. Were you one of those people that was saying that? Yeah, it would never be as good. <laughs> it would never be as good. <laughs> so for those of you listening, Cinegear is a convention out here in Los Angeles. Uh, this is my first. I've, I've only done the NAB thing multiple times. I've never done one here in LA. Okay, yeah. Well, the 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 cool thing about the Paramount lot one was that you felt like you're on a, on a Hollywood studio mm-hmm. and you felt like you were actually rubbing elbows with, with people who were working in the industry every day of their lives. Mm-hmm. You know, so we were at the, the Cindy gear show last or two weeks ago and a lot of us were like, well, if we're not going to ever get back to Paramount lot, then why couldn't we just rotate it from, you know, Aerie to Burns mm-hmm. and Sawyer and just kind of rotate around, um, Burbank a little bit, you know, DPMC, I don't know if that'll ever happen, though. Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was cool. I mean, it was cool to be in the conventions. I guess. Convention centers are convention centers. But the parties and stuff were cool. And then we got to meet. We met at we met at the Adobe party, I think. Yeah, the Frame.io party. Yeah, the Frame.io party. That's right. Yeah, just by dumb luck. Yeah. <laughs> what, was, what was this in there? <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm walking upstairs, and I'm invited to this party because of a guy named Charlie Anderson, who you know. Who's been on the show? We all know who Charlie is. Great guy. I walk upstairs and out of the corner of my eye, I think I see someone who is Charlie Anderson. And I just climb through, you know, bushes and plants. And I'm just super awkward. I'm already awkward to begin with in real life. So it's like <laughs> even more awkward because alcohol is involved. And I stand up and I go, hey, I don't even know who you are. <laughs> and the guy looks at me dead in the face and goes, you're looking for Charlie, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> I said, thank God. Thank God. I look like an idiot. You just saved me. Yeah, I'm looking for Charlie. He's like, I'm Dave. He, this happens all the time. I was like, awesome. <laughs> okay. So the big reveal for the audience who knows who Dave is, that was David Cruda. <laughs> you, you walked into David Cruda. <laughs> And then, and then he pointed you over in the direction of Charlie. Right. And Charlie and I were gabbing, and that's right. Right. That's, that's how the connection happened. Yeah. yeah. Now, that's a great intro story, though, because like I didn't know you. I didn't know Gina. <laughs> Charlie was like, hey, this guy. And I was like, oh, my God, this thing just happened. <laughs> yeah, it was really funny. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It was a wild – that was a wild week for us because we, we did that, and then we ended up – crashing the, one of the barbecues at the ASC clubhouse. We ended up in there. Okay, you said hi to me, and I looked at you, and I kind of had like this glazed look. And then after you left, you walked away, and I was like, dude, I was probably dead in the face. <laughs> I was so brain dead. You like looked at me, and then you kind of patted me on the shoulder, and I stood up and gave you an awkward hug, and then you walked away, and I didn't see you again for the rest of the time. <laughs> That's because we were getting in trouble. That's what it was. Yeah, you're playing cornhole. Yeah, we were playing cornhole. (laughs) Of that place. Uh, What a weird weekend because it was such a last minute choice for us to be like, yeah, yeah, fuck it, we'll go to Cinegear. And then it ended up being such a wild uh, event. It got to meet a lot of really interesting folks. Well, I think also it was fun because there were. It's the first time that we've all kind of been in one place again yeah. and seeing everybody and getting a chance to, to reconnect with them and, and talk more beyond just, hey, you, you know, you want to get partnered up and you want to do this like cool thing in co-market. Yeah. You actually get to talk to people, which is nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like talking to you because you're incredibly passionate. Which I don't. Well, thanks. He's, he's, he's blushing on, on, on the microphone right now. You guys can't see it. Yeah. But yeah, no, it was fun, dude. Like, uh, how'd you get into, how'd you get into the tech world? How'd you get into like tech sales essentially, right? Yeah. So I started in photography a long time ago and 
started a business and kind of just moved my way through. And every at every juncture in 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 my world of image making, I've only been in image making for my entire career, so like over twenty years at this point. <laughs> and so at every juncture, I was like, oh, I'm not going to be great at this. Oh, I'm not going to be great at this. And I got to being mm-hmm. a photographer, and then I started trying like to make like like movies, which were really awful, and then. Try to do all this other stuff. I was like, I'm not going to be good at this. And then at some point, why, 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 why were you saying that? Was it because <laughs> is it because you're colorblind or something, or is it because you were handicapping yourself? Like, uh, why were you not good at it? I think like you you look in the okay. So I majored theater. Okay. In college. Okay. All right. When I graduated theater, I realized I spent all that time doing theater, and I just sucked. <laughs> It just wasn't good. <laughs> so you learn real quick when you suck at something. <laughs> so that's what, you, that's what you learned from college. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're like, my suck meter is really, really good. Yeah, I'm really accurate on the suck. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I get out of college and I'm like, hey, I seriously can't act. Or I tried to act, didn't get the roles, and then really realized I just because I couldn't act. <laughs> and then started to realize that, oh, all of my friends are actors. I could do their headshots. Oh. Okay. So okay. I started getting paid to do photography and then went to doing weddings and started kind of doing other jobs and that kind of stuff. And then I remember I was like 24 and I was, you know, doing some post-production editing and I was just having a bad day. Mm-hmm. And you know, you know, in uh, AOL, mm-hmm. like AIM, you get a away message mm-hmm. and like you always had to try to have like a clever away message. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My clever away message that day was like doing someone's bitch work. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, my boss at the time oh, yeah. read it. Oh yeah, and then promptly fired me. <laughs> oh wow, yeah. <laughs> Which is funny because like I was ten ninety nine. I was an independent contractor anyway. Yeah, but also get a sense of humor, bro. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he yeah. let me go, and then I went. I went like a panic mode, and then managed a Banana Republic for like three months. Oh wow, okay. And then got into um, a job just by just dumb luck. So back when I was a photographer, I was you know, doing a lot of engagement sessions up and down the beach in San Diego, like a wind and sea beach. And there was this guy, his name was Tony Corbell. He would always see me. Mm-hmm. And then I disappeared because I got fired. <laughs> <laughs> and then like six months later, he messaged me and he goes, Hey, do you have a resume? And then I got put into this like weird technical sales job for a software company called Nick software. Okay. And they were like a, like a Photoshop plugin company okay. that eventually got bought by Google. Right. So they, they had some chops. Um, unfortunately, I left them because I make, you know, my life is like a succession of like decisions that I made too early. Yeah. <laughs> I know what that's like. <laughs> yeah. So I left this company before they got bought up by Google uh-huh. and then went to a distribution company that did like bags and camera sales, no bags and like at the time medium format digital and lighting and tripods and that kind of stuff. I'm just going to like started to expand my understanding of the accessory market. Yeah. Yeah. And then started doing uh, from technical sales to like brand marketing, project management, e-commerce, and then 10 years flew by. And then I got a job at Fujifilm just by dumb luck. Wow, dude. Okay. So isn't that wild? I mean, because that's a big part of our business in general, right? right. It's, it's dumb luck. Yeah. Like, there's a big yeah. part of our business. Um, and then at the end of the day, it, as we talked about Cinegear and meeting people in real life, that's where it is. Like, right. I feel like it's a lot harder to get dumb luck when you're just communicating via, like, email or, or online. Like, maybe there's a sense of it, but it's more about, like, hanging out with someone in real life and then going, like, that guy was fucking cool. Where'd that guy end up? Dude, that's so weird because the reason I ended up applying for the Fujifilm job was I was having 
dinner with uh, with with an old friend, mm-hmm. and she was asking me about my job at the time, and she said, "Hey, would you ever recommend anyone?" Um, for for uh, a position at your company because you're having like a conversation back and forth. And I said, yeah, you know what? I've been there ten years. I really like I really like what I do. It's uh, it's dynamic. It's always like you have to be really quick on your feet, and you kind of just got to know how to solve problems. And then I asked her. I was like, hey, so would you? And she had the, she was at Fujifilm as well. Mm-hmm. And then she said, you know what? Yeah, I would. And she kind of just went through all these things. And then we had dinner. Our friend showed up. Whatever it was. And then. Afterwards, um, the next day, I got an email message from her and was like, hey, you should apply for this. Oh, wow. So I applied. And then three days later, I had an interview. And then two interviews later, I had a, a new job. It was weird. Yeah, see, but it's, okay, this is, I'm going to get real nerdy about this. So <laughs> it's, you had a conversation. She had a conversation with you. Mm-hmm. You're in real life. You guys are like looking at each other's body language. You're communicating about how you feel about these things. And apparently she felt some sort of passion out of you in real life. And yeah. was like, and, and then it's that interesting sort of like either drive home or next day realization where it's like, oh, Victor would be good for this. You know, and, yeah. and that comes yeah. from that like hangout. Yeah. 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 That happens. Yeah. And I think like when you talk about the things that you're passionate about, and we were talking about like the thing that I was really um, into at the time was I was just starting to spin up different e-commerce things for, for the company and got really excited about automation and just bringing the company into kind of the, the, the way that we do business today online. Mm-hmm. And we were just bouncing ideas back and forth. And then the next day, I had this job description and at the time it was for the director of marketing for electronic imaging, which is digital cameras and lenses. Mm-hmm. And when I interviewed, it was funny because the job that I was interviewing for wasn't the job that I actually got to do. And the job that I got to do was so much cooler. <laughs> Whoa, okay. Yeah. Okay. All yeah. Right. Because it was like, I had an understanding of all the business, all the dealer stuff, all like the the day to day. Sure. But what they didn't know was that I knew all of the other stuff too. Because of what your history with photography and everything. History with photography, history with just um, integrations and systems and platforms and all that stuff, all the digital stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And so when I stepped in, it was like, oh, I've been doing this other job already. It's just now for Fujifilm, and then things just started to click in place, hmm. which for me was really exciting because then I got to worry about things like storytelling. Then I got to worry about things like uh, brand building and relationships because all of the infrastructure that I'd known just Mm -hmm. got to be implemented and then that just began to really spin things up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And brand building is like the thing now. That is essentially what everybody needs to be doing at this point. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and it's kind of like weird to say brand building, but I think it, it started the first year with getting trust on the team mm-hmm. and building a team and building a team that, that wanted to do more than just sell a camera every day mm-hmm. and then wanted to do, um, wanted to reach people in a way that, that they hadn't been reached, uh, before by, by, by an image making company, by a camera company. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Well, it's smart. It's smart when you're thinking about it that way. I mean, cause when you think about, when you think about camera companies and you think about, the big ones like here's an old story i don't think i've ever told it on the show but when i was younger and i was just getting started in the business i was uh doing photography because that was a really Mm -hmm. inexpensive way for me to teach myself how to be a cinematographer sure so it was very cheap so i was doing that for a while and then i started to get magazine covers i started to get notoriety and i was like all right cool i kind of have to be a pro about this And I reached out to a friend of mine who, uh, David Binder, shout out to you if you're not listening, 
uh, big photographer. He's been journalistic photographer for years, done amazing things for huge magazines. And I reached out to him and I said, hey, I'm going to get a camera. Like, what camera should I get on the marketplace right now? And, I, and at the time, everybody was like, Canon was still trying to like get it, its legs a little bit. Mm-hmm. And he and he said to me, like, go Nikon. And I go, <laughs> why? He goes, because you can charge for it. Yeah, fair. Because of the name and because of the branding that came with the name. And so ever since then, this was years and years and years ago. So ever since then, it seems like branding has become the most important aspect of the equipment and gear world to the point mm-hmm. where like... You get a bunch of people like cramming in for that airy, that new airy camera right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. part of what you're purchasing is the romance and everything that that comes with airy. It's like all the different films that have been shot with it. All that stuff comes to plate when that thing is sitting there in the sales room floor. So branding is like such an important aspect, especially since we're living in a time period where everybody can take great pictures with their cell phone, quote unquote. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. I would argue that beyond the the prestige of a legacy brand like Airy or even like a legacy brand like Canon or Nikon, um, beyond all that is is a desire to actually craft um, relatability. You've got to be relatable. Yeah. And I think that's what we've really tried to do over the past few years. I've only been with Fujifilm uh, for about... I'd say a little over three and a half years now. Mm-hmm. And one of the driving things that we try to do on a, on a regular basis is to be relatable. Mm-hmm. And being relatable is tough because you can't be relatable to the masses. You have to be relatable to small individual groups of people. Yeah. And then they become relatable to others, right? So it's a very different approach to creating an audience and a community mm-hmm. because you're allowing and you're empowering the people you interact with in a sense to kind of be, be their own person in front of the brand, mm-hmm. you know, and so long as like the, the, the inside joke in our team is like, there's no sex, drugs or rock and roll. <laughs> right. So, so long as like, it's not about sex, drugs or rock and roll, we can really get behind an audience of people and try to do what we can to empower and support them. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. I mean, it, <clears throat> and that's kind of what I like about what you're doing too, is that you've always been about empowering uh, photographers and filmmakers since the moment we started talking, <laughs> you're always like, like, is there anybody that you know that needs help? Is there anybody that you know that would be interested in working? So, um, I like that. That's, I, I, I've always, I feel like with gear, gear has become almost crippling to a lot of like young filmmakers at this point where it comes with all of this, you need to own this piece of equipment and now you need to be indebted to this. And I've always been a huge advocate that these are tools for you and these are supposed to be there to help you make uh, a story help you make something bigger and better than that. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Uh, and I, I know I shouldn't be saying this, but I, it doesn't matter what the fuck you're shooting with. If your story isn't right. And if you don't have the stuff in front of that camera, that makes sense, then that should really be our focus. And for me, I team up with gear guys that support that and that understand that they understand that it's about the story and it's about what we capture. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, it's funny when you were talking about that, the thing that popped in my head was, when I was first learning about what made great movies, right? Mm-hmm. Great movies have great, great audio, great sound. Yeah, fuck yeah. Because you could watch a beautiful image, but if the sound is trash, you're just going to turn it off. Yeah. And you can watch awful footage, but if it had great sound design, you'd be just so into it, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's that goes to the one thing that I really care about, just is understanding fundamentals and understanding craft and storytelling and all the things that kind of go in to making a good image. And none of that, 
none of that involves picking up a piece of gear before you do it. Mm-hmm. It involves like conversation and visualization and like a lot of study and then research and kind of figure out how, how you feel about stuff. And then, you know, then maybe once you got an idea for how you want to make an image, then you maybe you pick up your phone, you pick up your camera, you pick up an imaging tool to look at what you would want to make. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's so, yeah, I think that we put too much reliance and this is coming from me where I work for, on the manufacturing side, we want people to buy cameras, right? We want people to pick up our tools and use our tools. And we talk about it all the time about why we want to innovate our technology mm-hmm. so that we can make image making easier, right? Mm-hmm. We want to do that so that we can bring and democratize the idea of making a high quality professional image. But if you're not look, thinking about it on the other end, mm-hmm and thinking about what goes into making that image, the minute you pick up that great tool that's been democratized for you to grasp and and use at a fraction of the cost of some of the other tools, then you're still going to make a really, really shitty image. Yeah. No, it's 100%, dude. Right? So, yeah, I mean, I I really am so, so hell-bent on trying to to remind everybody that, yeah, phones are awesome. They really have exposed image-making to so many groups of people that have never been able to do that before. But that's not. That's just the first step. Mm-hmm. You've got to learn how to do more than that. Yeah, and it, it, it ends up becoming this process of stuff. Like, um, I still have some friends that are uh, very obsessed with shooting film, mm-hmm. right? And so I get it. I get the idea of it. And it, it's not necessarily that I can't replicate that look with digital. It's not that I can't do those things. But it's the the physical pro- how that process of shooting film changes the set, right? And yeah. how like. Uh, knowing that you can only run a certain amount of film through that gate, uh, you've now become a lot more precious about w- when you roll and how you roll and what happens to it. Mm-hmm. And then it also changes the way your team works. And they're all sort of running at their fullest extent before you start to roll that. Because when you hear that motor running, you understand that that's cash and you understand that that's budget that's sort of running through it. And so that's just an example of how a tool can help set boundaries that you can play within. So like choosing specific tools. That's why I, I've always had a trouble doing stuff with the phone specifically because I also use the phone to, to deal with stress. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's like the people are calling me on it. People are texting me on it. I'm going through like the ridiculous, you know, social media depression on this thing. And then at the same token, this thing that I've been holding, which triggers all those things emotionally for me, I'm also going to be capturing something and shooting something and shooting a movie. I'm like, no, 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 no. I want the romantic little item that I'm using specifically for that, which changes my mindset as I, as, as I pick it up. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's called an assistant director, dude. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, dude. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm getting nerdy about it. But I, at the end of the day, t- like each individual tool does specific things. And I'm always talking about food on this show. And yeah. it's the same thing with kitchen utensils. Like at the end mm. of the day, all you need is like a fork or a spoon, a bowl, and a knife mm. and for a kitchen and, and a pot. That's really all you need. But there are these specific tools that you can use that sort of put you in the mode and put you in the mood and uh, make really wonderful food with them. You know I, what I, mean? I totally agree. The it's, it's such an interesting, interesting thing to talk about image making with other image makers, right? Especially ones that have had a little bit of time to, to be romanced by the shortcuts mm-hmm. and be romanced by the things that, that, that are popular. And it's not to say that I don't think 
using a phone is a great way to learn how to make an image. I think that you're absolutely right. The phone becomes a distraction. Yeah, fuck yeah. And if the distraction becomes the piece of like the thing that that you use to make a piece of art, or it, it, you get, I, I can't keep that straight. Neither can I. You know, and at this point, like I just ignore my phone because I can't keep it straight, right? Yep. And I have to be able to to lock in and do something and feel like a human. And then this phone over here just keeps buzzing and just keeps doing these other things that I don't want it to do. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, it's because I have to use social media to promote this show. I have to use social media to do all that stuff. And I have to go in there like completely tunnel visioned mm-hmm. because you get distracted yeah. like, instantly. And then the next thing you know, it's been like 45 minutes and you're like, what the fuck? And I don't want to be doing that on set. I don't want to like pick up my phone and, and go, okay, we're going to roll. Hold on. I just got this text. <laughs> you know that, I mean? That's the worst thing ever. Even yeah. like sitting in a business meeting and you're like, hey, let's actually, we haven't seen each other. Let's actually get this work done. And the other person is not even present because they're on their phone. Yeah. It's like the weirdest, it's the weirdest like ghosting in person that's ever happened to me. Yeah. Right. And it's like, it's like the weird, I, I can't, I can't quite understand it. Yeah. Um, especially now, like, especially post pandemic too, where it's so important. Uh, if I'm going to be in, in person with somebody and go through the, the, the entire rigmarole and Michigas of getting here to be in person with you, at least give me your time. Exactly. Right. And so I, that's why I get so freaking lit up about, um, getting people access to stuff too, because if you get people access to stuff and resources and, and, and learning and, and education and, and tools and, you know, mentorship, then you can really unlock a couple different things in a number of different people. Mm-hmm. And that becomes something that becomes, I think, really addicting as, as a, as a person in the world to see that happen. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you mentioned mentorship and that's such a strong word for me. I think that well, because when I started, when I was a younger kid, I used to work in mechanic shops and I used to mentor for like builders and everything. And so that sort of philosophy of, of learning through apprenticeship, I, I feel like is really important. And our business is such a weird crossroad, the movie business and the photography business, such a strange crossroad because um, there is two options. And I get asked this like fucking daily of, do I go to film school? Should I go to film school or should I not go to film school? And uh, I, I, I think the answer is very specific to each individual. But I think what is incredibly powerful about our business is apprenticeships and mentorships and being able to go and PA for folks and being able to go mm-hmm. learn these things. Because the most useful skills that I've learned have been through that, have been through mentorship, have been through working in the field, have been through all that. And there's, there's a lot to be learned in the theory of film, mm-hmm. but if you're talking about like, what can I use in my toolbox? What do I, what do I have um, to deal with a stressful situation? What do I have to deal with a client uh, like right off the top of my head? Uh, that always comes from mentorships and yeah. it has always come that way for me. Yeah, I mean, half of the things that I've done in the past three years came from the playbook that my mentor gave me for 10 years. You know, my last boss was an incredible mentor. Really? Yeah, he was, he's, he is an incredible human. Sometimes not a great boss. (laughs) Not a great boss. (laughs) What does that mean? I mean, Jan, I love you. Sometimes you weren't a bad, sometimes you weren't a great boss, but you're an incredible human. And he taught, he taught me the value of like, if you, if you just value the person, Mm-hmm. then you can really do amazing things with them because you know we're going to show up like 50 60% of the time because we've got other stuff going on 
but when you show up for them and you support them and you empower them and give them a lot of give them a lot of ro- runway to mm-hmm. do great things, they're going to do great things. And then your job as the person who's more experienced and and more capable is to see the bus coming before it hits them and mm-hmm. then get in front of it. Mm-hmm. Right? And that Jan did that all the time for me. That's awesome. Man. And he got in front of those buses and then he would tell me, "Hey, don't do that again." Mm-hmm. Right? And then he would give me the opportunity to fail and then teach me what that failure meant. It's such a weird thing to say that right now because I always thought that that was how life was lived. But especially within the past, what, five, six years, failure is not an option. Yeah. Like failure has become poisonous where like you're being judged essentially on your first time out. And I think it's crippling a lot of the younger folks that are in our business right now because they're just like, I don't want to fucking fail. This is like my one opportunity, my one mm-hmm. chance. Mm-hmm. And the truth of the matter is, is a lot of the people that we grew up loving and the people that have influenced a lot of the filmmakers that you guys now do, like Spielberg, for instance, that guy learned while putting movies out. Like that's what he was doing was like making his films and doing his television stuff, doing the old Columbo TV show, learning it while he was doing it. And with that room for failure is a higher rate for success and a faster route to success. If you're allowing yourself to jump and go, well, maybe it doesn't really matter if this isn't the best thing in the world, but it's important that I do this fucking thing. And then you go for it. I mean, that's what they do in software, right? That's what they do in, in um, agile processes. You sprint for two weeks, and then you, you just iterate as quickly as possible. And then when, when you hit like a moment of failure, you learn from it, and you keep iterating on that failure, right? And so that's why I think hmm. taking, a, taking a very um, aggressively iterative approach to designing something, to processes, to doing anything related to, to what we have to do on a day-to-day basis if we don't look at it in that way where, oh, hey, you know what? That didn't work. Well, let's change just one thing. No, yeah. that didn't work. Let's change just one thing. We're able to kind of then evolve much more quickly. And when you're able to evolve that quickly, people can't keep up. Yeah. I think that going back to the topic of being brands, the most successful brands that I've been able to kind of pay attention to are the ones that aren't looking over their shoulder. They're the ones looking ahead. So it's like this infinite mindset type of mentality, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're so many people think about looking to the right and looking to the left and seeing what those people are doing. And then they measure themselves against those two people or mm-hmm. those two or those two groups of people or whatever. What really you have to do is measure yourself against the future, against what is going to happen, right? So um, there's a great book by Simon Sinek. Uh, it's it's the Infinite Game. It's based off of the idea of playing an infinite game, and there's like other other philosophical things that are involved in it. Hmm. And in this book, what he talks about are brands that have an infinite mindset mm-hmm. versus brands who have a finite mindset. And he uses the example of the iPod and the Zune. <laughs> okay. 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 All right. Okay. So he puts you in the perspective of okay. Microsoft, they were so hell bent on beating Apple to uh, against their own game. We're going to be the best MP3 player on the face of the planet, <laughs> and they invested years and years and millions of dollars in technology. Do we ever remember when the Zune came out? No. Okay. Well, <laughs> we don't remember it because Steve Jobs got on the Apple stage and released the iPhone. Yeah. In that same year, right around then. Yeah. And so while. Microsoft was busy trying to catch up and beat Apple at their own game. Apple was like, hey, well, we've got a phone, we've got a, 
and they started looking forward and they started to see the bend in the road and that's having an infant mindset. They were already onto the next thing yeah, yeah. while everyone else is trying to catch up to them. Right. 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 And you see that, you see that every, I mean, you see that in the business, you see that as, uh, as filmmakers and as directors. Mm-hmm. And when you're out here in Los Angeles and you're doing that pitch game and everybody's sort of looking around going, what's hot right now? Mm-hmm. Oh, stranger things is hot right now. I'm going to do another strangers thing. Right. And, and you forget that it takes, you know, could take up to five years before your shit even gets going. So why are you trying to be something that was five years old? Right. Yeah. The comparison game really gets, gets, to be the 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 single most limiting factor in my day to day. Really? If I if I got caught looking my, to my left and my right and comparing um, the things that we do as a brand against the things that other brands do, I feel like I would just get caught in a in a in a in a wormhole. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because um, it's always comparison of budget. It's always comparison of of audience size. It's always comparison of all these things, but. In reality, when I look at the Fujifilm audience and what we've been able to accomplish and some of the things that we care about as a brand and we, what we stand for and, and, and how we, we engage with our community, I'm actually really proud of that because I think that even if other brands are doing it or even if they're not doing it, I think the way that we are doing it is unique. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I think that the way that we approach things is unique. And it's not just like my perspective. It's the perspective of the whole team that... that they feel empowered enough to be like, hey, you know what? I don't agree with that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, like it happened today. I'm on the airplane. I'm just like messaging back and forth. And our senior product manager is like, you know what? I didn't agree with that decision. And I said, I understand. And I really respect the fact that you're able to, 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 to give um, that true and honest of an opinion. But here's why we made that decision. Right, mm-hmm. and so being able to have that dialogue mm-hmm. with with your team, and especially when things matter so much to them, because they put so much time and effort into doing the things they care about. Yeah, that's great. You know, so it's 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 that too. So it's like when you look at just the creative process, looking at how you think about the world, and not caring so much about if the idea is going to resonate but carrying on how you're going to continue to build on that idea is much more important mm-hmm. because when they ask you how or why you came up with the idea, if you've got a backstory to it, that's what fascinates people. hundred percent, one hundred percent. Right. So yeah, I mean, yeah, we all know this stuff. Yeah. We get so scared though to, 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 to not step into it because we just, we're, uh, I guess like me being uh, growing up in California and going to New York, there was one thing that I noticed that was different in New York. Um, if I didn't want to hang out with you, I would just say, you know what? I don't want to hang out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm busy. I'm busy Friday. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Out here, it was just like this anxiety of like, Hey, you want to hang out? And then like Friday was like, Hey, you know what? Like, uh, uh, uh you know what? I'm a little tired. I'm yeah. Something came up, you know, yeah. like it just happens over and over and over. Right. And they give you this, like this, this litany of excuses. It's like the passive rejection. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I know like people just want, no, don't want to hang out with me. It's fine. I get it. <laughs> yeah, when are you getting out of here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all you were taught me was just to say no first. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, I talk about that all the time. That's the East Coaster where you just like, I, I, I kind of, people look at the East Coast and they go, wow, they're kind of assholes and they, they're, they're real, they can be really abrupt and assholey. And I go, eh, not necessarily. I think at the core of each every East Coaster, they want to be nice and they want to be your friend, mm-hmm. but they're also just like, "Look, man, drop the shit, drop the bullshit act." 
And that's pretty much when you when you're talking to someone, yeah. it's like, do me a favor, drop the fucking act because you seem interesting. Yeah. Because honestly, if a, if an East Coaster doesn't like you, he doesn't communicate with you. So like if yeah. if someone comes yeah. to you and says, hey, I want to do this, and they go, great, and they turn away, they want nothing to do with you. What if they go, ha? Huh. And if they're kind of like back and forth with you, it's because they're interested. Right, right. And they're usually interested in the nugget that's hidden underneath the the glossy sort of Instagram shield that you put up over yourself. And it's like, so if someone's like, uh, do you want to hang out today? And they go, no, it's not that they don't like you. They're just like, I'm just being honest with you. Yeah, I, I'm just busy. I'm busy. Yeah. I, I, I think that um, East Coasters are, are probably some of the kindest people Yeah, because they're honest. They're willing to be honest with you and yeah. not, not string you along about stuff. Yeah. I appreciate that. And yeah. I, I, I like, look, I don't want to shit on the West Coast because I shot, <laughs> I shot on the West Coast for so long. I'll do it for you. When I was on the East Coast. Um, there are a lot of really nice people, a lot of nice folks out here to the to, to the part where I don't trust them, where I'm like, what's your fucking angle? You know what I mean? Like, what's going on with you? Um, but it is still very passive and it takes a while. I was just hanging out with a friend the other day and uh, the first couple of times that I called him, I'm still on East Coast guy time. So like, could be Friday in the afternoon and Gene and I are like, let's go get drinks. Who wants to go get drinks? So we'll call someone up and go, hey, you want to go get drinks? They go, oh, well, you know, you have to book me like a week in advance. So you got to go through this whole process. <laughs> and it's like, I didn't know fucking two hours ago that I wanted to go out and get drinks. And would you like to join us on this adventure? And our friend, we were asking him quite a few times, Nick, you know who you are. We're asking him quite a few times. And he was always like, uh, yeah, you know, I'm kind of tired. I'm doing this. And now he's learned his lesson. So now we'll text him like 20 minutes, like what was it? Uh, Sunday, we texted him 20 minutes before and I go, what are you doing right now? He goes, I don't know. What are you doing? And I'm like, okay, do you want to <laughs> hang out? He goes, yeah. I go, I'm in your neighborhood. I can pick you up in 10 minutes. And he's like, I'll, I'm out there. And he's like, I've learned to accept this way. And I go, this is the East Coast way of life, brother. It's like you're living yeah. on a whim in the moment. Yeah. Know? Yeah. It happens all the time. Yeah. I love it, dude. It's because yeah. it's inspiration. Yeah. Yeah, right. It is time to do some of the sponsor reads of the show. And um, as I said to you guys at the opening of this episode, I think I can spoil it now. I don't know. It doesn't really matter, right? Um, this show was recorded uh, over a month ago. And the reason why it took me so long to release the show was that after Victor and I hung out, after we spent time together, he really loved our conversation on the show. He really loves what this show does. Um, so here's the big fucking news, okay? Fujifilm has signed on to be a sponsor of In Love With The Process. If I can insert some applause here, I will. Maybe I won't because I'm lazy on production design, but it's a big deal. We're very excited. We now have Fujifilm on board. Fujifilm is one of the major sponsors of the show. Not only have they provided us with new equipment to play with, if you guys have seen the posts on Instagram, I've been posting about all these new cameras that we'll talk about, um, but uh, they're also financially helping the show. Fuck yes, to continue to bring the show to you for free. You're welcome. Thank you, Victor. Everybody, thank you, Fujifilm, for the help and the assistance. and. I'm excited. We're going to try to work out some stuff. Maybe we'll do some giveaways. We'll see. We're, there's all sorts of things that are going to happen over the course of the year with these guys. Um, but most importantly, let's talk a bit about Fujifilm, right? Uh, 
With over 85 years of experience in image making, uh, Fujifilm has become one of the world's leading manufacturers of Im image making products. Um, they actually have a pretty good mission statement. Our visual storytellers exist in the split seconds between the seen and the unseen. Gifted with elevated senses of perception and intuition, their love of the craft is only outmeasured by the purpose behind the stories they tell. Okay, this is what I like about these guys. This is why I got in with these guys is because they're talking about the craft. They're talking about stories. The beginning of their mission statement isn't like this is about pixels. This is a this is about tech shit. It's not. These guys believe in supporting us as artists. We exist to be part of the storytelling process, to be a connection between the communities of image makers across the world, collectively weaving a color a colorful tapestry of diverse perspectives into a single incohesive message of unity, equality, and inclusion. Uh, in the hands of our best, we are the instruments of change and the keepers of history. That's pretty rad. However, when we are at our best, hold on. However, when we are at our best, that the world is reminded that everyone has a story and we will always be there when they are ready to share it. Uh, that is the first time I've read that, so bear with me, but fucking A, right? Really cool stuff. Um, and they believe it, you know? Like Victor definitely believes it. And the support that he gives, I saw him talking to multiple creatives at that Adobe party uh, and everybody that has talked to Victor since. And he's been everywhere. He's talked to the Aperture guys. He's talked to all sorts of different folks. Anytime I show up, I hang out. They go, have you hung out with Victor yet? <laughs> so it means something. Um, so what are we playing with? So we've got two cameras in our hands right now. One is for myself and one is for Gina. Uh, they do two different things. Uh, let's talk specifically about what I'm doing first. I am playing with the Fujifilm X-H2S. There's a lot of you Fujifilm nerds that listen to the show that are like, ooh, because I know you guys have been seeing my posts and you guys are like, how's it run? What's it like? What are the benefits of it? Well, I'm not going to read a lot of their technical stuff. Let me just tell you about what I've experienced so far with it. What I like is that it's a street camera. It's a shooter camera. It's very small, very contained. Ah, oh, the lenses, the general lenses for it are very small and contained. I really like that. Um, I actually have my hands on a very sexy uh, 50 millimeter. Um, what is it? It's a 1.0 lens, I think. It's super shallow, super creamy very gorgeous uh, and it's beautiful for the video functions that this camera has <gasps> gasp yes video functions Fujifilms has made a camera that uh, can compete with the Sony rigs that are out in the market um, it's pretty fucking cool now here's what I like about this camera yes you can shoot raw you can go through the process of doing that and and uh, you know color correcting everything in post but what I like about it is its internal LUTs it has some badass LUTs inside this rig. Hold on, while we're talking, I'm gonna load it up here. Um, I was shooting with their black and white stuff. They have a bunch of really cool black and white modes. They have black and white modes where you can actually adjust the black and white modes and shoot with like reds uh, in mind, um, just so that you can dial in whether or not you want the clouds to come in more, um, or if you want uh, better face values from it. Uh, stand by as I'm hunting here. 
yes, film simulation. So <clears throat> there's a bunch of rad LUTs in here. So they have their Provia standard, pretty awesome. Their uh, Velvia, their vivid, vibrant reproduction ideal for landscapes and nature. Uh, the uh, Astia, their soft, softer color and contrast for a more subtle look. Classic chrome, pro negative, pro negative standard, classic negative, nostalgic, amber tinted highlights with rich shallow tones. That's pretty cool. They have their Eterna Cinema. So this LUT is the equivalent of the Fuji Film 35mm film look, which is really cool when you're doing the video stuff on here. Um, and then, like I said, they have their black and white stuff. They're uh, across, across, uh, shoot black and white in rich details with sharpness. Um, and then you can adjust it for the uh, YE filter. You can adjust it for the red filter or the green filter, which changes the contrast of your black and white images. So with these lots, I actually enjoy shooting with them uh, because there's something about shooting raw and having to go through the process of processing all that raw and it's just a lot of fucking work and sometimes it's just nice to get it in camera right um especially if you're doing like a small rig like this for photography it's a great behind the scenes camera it's a great second shooter camera if you're talking about photography uh let's say that you're doing something larger with medium format and you just want to break away with a model and take a smaller unit and go do some impromptu stuff maybe some stuff outside um, there is a hot shoe amount. I haven't connected it to strobes yet, but I'm sure it does it fine. Um, and uh, it's pretty great for that. The other thing that's interesting about it is its video mode is pretty fucking great. It's really awesome. Um, I just shot some test stuff. Um, I shot some food stuff with myself, which I think is going to become a very special little piece, a little love sandwich piece that I'll offer up to you guys. I don't know if I'm going to do it through the Patreon or through something else, but I'm shooting it primarily with this really cool little Fujifilm uh, H, uh, I'm sorry, XH2S rig. I love it, dude. It's really awesome. Um, I can get you guys more as we continue on the show. You'll hear more reads from me. I'll give you some of the tech specs for the video stuff. Super rad. Um, and uh, we'll talk more about this camera as we go. Very excited to have it in my hands and to be able to play. It's been a while since I've had a new film camera. I mean, we, Gene and I, for years were Nikon shooters, and we, we shot Nikon for so long. And uh, really, we were excited to talk to Victor and Fujifilm because Gene has been doing a lot of medium format work. She'll shoot for celebrities or stars um, or even campaigns that have the potential of getting blown up for billboards. She's had shots on billboards in Times Square. Um, and when we're shooting something like that, they never really tell you the details. It's always like, shoot it at the best resolution possible because you never know where these images are going to go. And Gina has like a really cool old school film uh, medium format rig. It's beautiful. It shoots gorgeous images. The problem with it is that all of its lenses are like a low stop of four, maybe a low stop of five, six, right? And then Gina likes to shoot her stuff um, at least at 120 shutter speed, if not higher, so that she's not worrying about camera shakes. She's not worrying about what's happening with those folks. And so as someone that lights for her, it's a fucking nightmare, right? 
um, because you can only use strobes realistically. Like if you're using cinema constant lighting, it's been very difficult for that. And when we've done stuff like she's been on set doing the boys pieces, right? That shoot ultimately starts as a video shoot first, right? Because the covers for Entertainment Weekly are these video covers and they're shooting these generally with some sort of cinema camera. Um, and then with those cinema cameras, they're very susceptible to low light. So um, they're running, they have the ability to run very high ISOs with minor grain, right? But if you're taking photographs and you're trying to adjust those photographs and do post-production on those photographs, generally with a DSLR, you start cranking above 800 and that grain becomes problematic as you're trying to adjust this stuff in post. And so what we're always doing is trying to also bring in fucking strobes, trying to replicate whatever sort of cinema lighting that's happening there, which is virtually impossible because strobe lights are just incredibly powerful and they sort of splash everywhere. I always have fucking trouble with those. Um, and I said to Gina, man, I wish there was a medium format camera that was very susceptible to low light. There has to be something new on the marketplace. And we had heard rumors about Fujifilm's uh, medium format rig. And so we got our hands on the Fujifilm GFX 100S. Um, and this thing's pretty awesome. Let me read you some of these tech specs. Ultimate resolution, de uh, dependable processing, powered by Fujifilm's high-performance X processor, four quad-core CPU, Jesus. GFX 100S utilizes its 102 megapixels back-illuminated large format uh, CMOS sensor to create truly stunning results, create remarkably detailed still images uh, that possess amazing, amazing color fidelity and rich shadow detail with enough with enough dynamic range for astonishing push and pull and adjustments in post-production. That's what we like to hear. Uh, or use our pixel shift multi-shot uh, to create ultra high definition resolution, 400 megapixel stills with remarkable detail. Um, and this camera also shoots in video mode. Not as good as the uh, X-H2S, but still pretty great. Um, and the lenses are really solid. It's a really sweet uh, large format camera, medium format camera. So um, we're going to do some tests. I'm excited. We're getting our hands on this stuff. I'm going to try to light some portrait shots with some basic LED units, right? Because what a fucking benefit. If, if she can go do these shoots and utilize a lot of the cinema lighting that's happening there while she does these, because these productions cram everything together, right? Those photographers out there, those videographers out there, you know, when the client goes, hey, can we do photos at the same time? And you're like, ah, the lighting really, ah. we're going to try to crack that code. And we're going to try to crack that code with Fujifilm. So as the show continues over the course of the year, we'll keep you up to date on what we've been testing and trying. I'll give you more details, more tech specs. I'll be posting stuff on Instagram. I'm very excited about our relationship with Fujifilm. On in love with the process. Uh, so strap yourselves in for more excitement from us. Um, and that's going to be the only ad read for today's show, uh, just because it's Victor and all them. Uh, and as we get into further episodes, they'll become part of our ad reads with everybody else, the Puget Boys, um, Share Grid, all the way across the board. So thank you, folks, for listening. And uh, let's get back to it with Victor.
I go to Burning Man like every year, right? Mm-hmm. And and um, one of the things that I try to do is just uh, go out without a plan. So on some days, I'll go with a bunch of people, and it's go straight, right, or left. You can't go backwards <laughs> because you make enough turns, you'll end up back where you're supposed to go. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're in the back of back of camp, whatever it is. And the the amount of freedom in being able to go, okay, right, left, or straight, and then just everyone just rotates making a decision, it's really fun. Yeah. Because then you're just relying on someone else's in-the-moment decision because we don't ever get to do that, and it's a lot of fun to just rotate that decision among people. Right, right. You're passing off the the decision-making process. Mm-hmm. I fucking love that, man. It's kind of like what we do with bar safaris. Did I tell you about bar safaris? No. Okay. But the audience is like, we know about bar safaris. <laughs> uh, so I started this years ago when I was doing music videos. Uh, my assistant that I had for over seven years, Tony, miss you, buddy. Um, he, his main job, every time we had to go to do a video, we would have to go to a city wherever the band was performing and could do that. So we went to a lot of new cities. And his main job was, do me a favor, find me a list, make me a list of all the craziest, sketchiest dive bars possible. And I will book a hotel for two or three extra days in the back end, and we'll go on a bar safari. Awesome. And so what we do is we typically do it on like a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Chris Candy, if you're listening to it, it's usually a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I'm trying to get him to do a bar safari. Um, <laughs> because you can get into any bar. You basically get in and you can talk to the bartender. And the rule is you make a list. You go in first bar. You talk to the bartender at that bar, and you tell them what you're doing. Hey, we're on a bar safari. They go, what? And then you go, what is your list of bars? Oh. And they give you their list. And if their list is better than your list, you throw your list out. And then you go for their list. Then you go to the second bar. You talk to the bar, the bartender at the second bar. Go, we're on a bar safari. Where are we going? What's your favorite bars to go to? Maybe there's some crossover. Now you know that those crossover ones should end up on the major list. And then you're making your way through. And that's how I got to know people and cities. Okay. Was by going to different places and doing bar safaris. It's the coolest fucking adventure. It's kind of like what you do at Burning that's Man. That's awesome, you're yeah. just like... That's really cool. Yeah, it's fun. Spontaneous. And then you meet some weird fucking... You meet some weird fucking people. And it's a blast. I haven't done one in a while. I'm trying to do one out here in Los Angeles. Believe it or not, I live here and I haven't done one yet. But New York is one of my favorite places to do it. I've done it in New York like three or four times. New York City. Honestly, I actually am going to steal that idea. I'm totally going to steal that idea. Call my best friend. Hey, Zach. Let's go on a bar safari. He's going to tell me about it. Just tell me when you go. Tell me where you go. Yeah, dude. Totally. It's, it's, I love it. And it's you, and the other rule is like one drink per bar or one food item per bar okay. um, because then you can get more bars in. Yeah. And then um, it's about talking to people. Okay. So like we did one in Vegas because uh, I fucking hate the strip. The strip feels like the mall. Yeah, as soon yeah. as they put a yeah. fucking CVS on the strip, I'm like, okay. Hey, but it's got lights. Yeah, yeah. Great. <laughs> So when we were in Vegas, we did uh, a bar safari off the strip, and then I had no idea that their Chinatown is amazing in Las Vegas. Oh, right. Yeah, for sure. It's fucking amazing. And so we ended up peppering in all these different spots. So like, there's really cool off-strip bars, local bars that are great. So next time I go to Vegas, I know like the Hard Hat Saloon. There's a bunch of other spots that I think are really oh, cool. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. I guess I get, I've never really thought about doing that to find out new places. Also, I didn't realize how much of an introvert I am until <laughs> until like two years ago. Like this pandemic thing really just turned my world upside down. Yeah. So 
So the idea of going out and talking to random strangers. You just did that. That's how I met you, though. Yeah, but I was drunk. Yeah. <laughs> like, alcohol is the greatest social lubricant ever. So then the bar safari is the solution. Yeah, I was, like, charming. I had, like, things to talk about. It was great. It's yeah. true. Jeez. It's, true. it's not, like, honestly, like, having a great fuck-up to begin with was awesome. Because uh-huh. then now you're not just, you're not playing catch-up. Yeah, yeah. You already, you already messed up. It's That's fine. a great story, too. Yeah. Where you're just like, okay, yeah. all right. Yeah. Yeah. There's something so nice and... I know that I'm going to fuck up <laughs> once a day. And I, like, I, I'm always joking about this show. Like, Whenever I get behind this microphone, I feel like I found my dad's gun in the closet. It's like, <laughs> what am I going to do with this thing? <laughs> you know? But there's this sense of, of, of pure sort of bewilderment and honesty and um, just passion that comes with knowing that it's okay to screw up as long as you have the ability to, and the humbleness to apologize for your screw up and mm. understand like, ah, that may not have been the right decision, the right call, but we learned something from that. Let's pivot and let's do something else. And I think that's what good filmmaking is. Is that where you get your stories from? Often. Yeah. What was the last fuck up that you actually inspired a story? <sighs> I mean, the big, I guess it's a fuck up. It's not really a fuck up though. The big one that I, that uh, for 12KM was the one where uh, Gina took me on a date, ice skating. Mm-hmm. I guess the thing that I fucked up was like sort of really explaining how terrible I am on my feet as far as my balance is concerned. Because she took me out on the ice. I went on the ice and I slipped and I fell and I cracked my skull. Oh, geez. And I had a hematoma and I was in intensive care for five days and then uh, went to five months of recovery crazy oh my god almost died oh my god so like hallucinations and all that kind of stuff and and through that period um of you know facing death i was also she's got all these recordings on her phone of me sort of like hallucinating because i couldn't go to sleep and there was this whole thing going on and i was like my inner voice doesn't belong to me and i was sort of doing all this that became the motivation for 12km which was the proof of concept short that i made Mm. and because of that that then led me on to get agent representation and then end up in the offices of Ridley Scott and have those guys pick up the feature. Oh, that's awesome. Stuff. So yeah, me not <laughs> being, me being kind of macho and not being completely honest about, you know, my lack of ability on the ice. So I guess that's a fuck up, right? I mean, that when they say fail beautifully, yeah, that's that a, be- a beautiful, beautiful failure. Jesus. <laughs> that's like the epitome of a beautiful failure. Yeah. Ask the guys that own the ice rink. Cause when I hit the ice, apparently Gina's like, everybody heard it. Oh Jesus. And the dudes that own the ice rink, uh, just skated little orange cones around my unconscious body. <gasps> <laughs> they basically painted your body like the like the chalk drawing. <laughs> I was like, it was like an old like NHL fucking uh, Super Nintendo video game. I was just out cold. Oh my god! Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was the that was a pretty inspiring fuck up. But I've had quite a few of them in my career. Like you, you, you do things that I feel like the the growth that happens as a director is that. You're dealing with insecurity and and, um, imposter syndrome, Mm -hmm. and that's the start. And I think the you have to to come off confident in order to get anybody to support you, whether that's get money or get crew or get people interested. And I think when you're younger, 
that confidence is often uh, hidden by arrogance. So sure. like you sort of hit a point where you go, I know what the fuck I'm doing. And then you become very arrogant. Mm-hmm. You become very sort of close-minded because you're, you're insecure. Mm. And so you don't want to come off sounding like you don't know what the fuck you're doing. You don't want to come off uh, sounding like you're not the genius, which I don't believe in, but you're not the genius. Um, and so your work suffers for it and your collaboration skills suffer for it. And then when you talk about being an introvert, <laughs> that is what being a director is. And it takes years to realize that like, it isn't about being that, you know, quiet artist genius that can't talk to anybody. Your mm. fucking job is being a therapist, is being a football coach, is sure. being all those elements. So um, a long version of this, but yeah, yeah. A lot of fuck ups help make your career. And a lot of folks ask me consistently, how do you set up your own sense of style? How do you find your style? Because eventually you have a style that people recognize you for. And I'm like, I don't know. Do I have a style? And I said, and a lot of what you guys think is my style are my fuck ups, are the things that I was attempting to do something else. But this sort of came about from it. And I curved into that and I made that what it is. And that has now become my visual style. That's interesting. Did you, um, when you were making your, your steps towards that style, mm-hmm. were you, what was inspiring you in the moment? Like, were you reading? Were you like looking at stuff? Were you talking to other people? Were you listening to music? Dude, sometimes it's so, sometimes it's so immediate. So like, um, when you, when you're making a movie, right, it's all about prep. Sure. So like you're doing your story. I storyboard a lot. I could show you some, I just, I storyboard a lot. I do a lot of that process. And when I was younger, I was very rigid with it. Or I'm like, this is these are my boards. This mm. is my storyboard. This is what I'm supposed to do. So then you get on set and you're just like, the, the frame needs to be exactly this and the actors need to be exactly doing this. And and I when I went through the process of editing that stuff, I was incredibly bored. Mm. I'm like, there's no growth here. There's nothing that's happening. It's mm. just the bullshit idea that I came up with when I wrote it on storyboards. There's no life to it because I didn't allow the life. Yeah, it's all paint by numbers. Exactly. <laughs> and so there have been times on sets where um, <laughs> when we were doing 12KM, right, we designed an entire sequence that we, to save money, I was going to just light with a flashlight. Okay. And so that was going to save me about a grand and a half because okay. I knew that I could send the grip truck back that mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. And so I was working with Crude, the guy that you bumped into. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, can we light this whole sequence with this flashlight? So, you know, we were, I think it was an airy mini that we shot it on, whatever. So we're, we're shooting with a, a very highly sensitive camera. And he goes, yeah, but we have to get a specific type of flashlight. I want to get like a high-powered LED. And if we're smart, as the actor is making his way through the basement, I'll hide bounce materials that they can shine the flashlight in that will show and illuminate. And then we can kind of paint this like silhouette to frontal lighting kind of thing. I was like, fuck yeah. All right, great. And it's super creepy. Cool. So uh, we get there. We send the grip truck out. We get the flashlight. We do the first take. Looks amazing. Mm -hmm. He's walking through. He's doing his stuff. Actor's getting his legs, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm like, it's killer. And I'm getting a bunch of coverage done fast, right? So I'm like, cool. Let's go back to number one. Everything's great. Now we start. We get about 30 seconds into take two, and the flashlight starts flickering. Right. And so we're like, what? So if we stop everything and it's like, okay, so something's happening with the camera. It's got to be like the refresh rate on the camera. And so we're working on the camera and I'm like, let's just go again. Maybe it was a fluke. We go again, flicker, 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 flicker. Right. Mm -hmm. 
So now we're like, well, what the fuck? And so I can, I know Crude is sweating it. So he's like, he's like, well, you know, it's got something. And so they're working on the camera stuff. And, and I'm like, well, let's just change the batteries. Right. So we change the batteries in the flashlight, get it going. Great. Take one. Perfect. Looks really good. Goes through the whole process. Take two. Flicker. Flickering. And so now we have to stop everything because I can't use anything. I don't have any lights. I don't have anything other than that. And I said to him, like, what's going on? And we figured out that it was that that flashlight only worked at full power. (laughs) So as soon as the power started to drain out of that flashlight, it started to flicker, which meant... And we were using like some pretty expensive fucking batteries in it. So what I had to do was send a PA out an hour and a half back to a, to a city. And I said, go buy all the batteries that you can find oh for this God. flashlight. So he takes off, right? So he's gone. Now I'm we're now deaf on a film set because people are sitting around waiting. So we now have to wait three hours or whatever the fuck it is. And I'm sweating because I planned out a day with coverage and all this other kind of stuff. And so I'm walking through it with uh, my assistant director and Kruda. And I'm like, all right, I got to change things, man. I got to change things. Like, I know I want this much coverage. I'm not going to get this much coverage. And I lose this location. I'm not going to get this. So instantly I'm trying to fix it. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking to him and I'm like, okay, can we do this with a dolly move instead of like five different shots? He's like, yeah, and if we do the dolly move like this, then we do that. And I go, ooh, that's cooler. And then as we have the time to sort of talk about this stuff, I'm like, this means more. Like now the camera move actually means something. Oh, fuck, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. So by the time the guy got back, <laughs> by the way, the cost of the batteries was, was the cost of the grip truck. <laughs> I was totally thinking that. I was like, it's 1500 bucks. <laughs> But the results of that, which was a pretty intense fuck up, but because of being able to think on our toes and and being able to turn to a team of people that you trust, like your team, and being able to say to them, like, we're fucked. What can we all do to figure figure this thing out? Um, it's, It's even better. It's a better sequence than I could have ever planned. And now when people watch that shit, they go, wow, like the precision of the camera moves and all that stuff, you really knew what you were doing. I'm like, well... No, like, <laughs> I I knew enough to like mend the situation as it was happening to me. But that's like that's interesting about the creative process, right? Um, fortunately, I've gotten a chance to to recently been on be be involved with more creative projects just because of of the nature of the camera we just released, right? And watching visual artists and filmmakers and photographers troubleshoot mm-hmm. troubleshoot with a camera that's in its prototype phase that has a firmware that's like 0.96, right? <laughs> that doesn't, it isn't supposed to be doing what it's supposed to be doing right now. I mean, that's just the nature of prototypes, right? But watching them problem solve and watching them figure out how to make an image, that's awesome because I can't do that, right? I get to watch that. Mm-hmm. I get to watch the result of what what that process looks like. And I got to see like nine different image makers on the last camera launch deal with exactly different problems that came up as we as we started to update firmware as we started to kind of do other things with the camera and it was beautiful because it was really fun to see professionals take a tool and go hey you know what I can, I can work with this yeah and then just do something beautiful with it even if what they set out to do initially wasn't the thing that they eventually got that was cool that was very really cool 
every time, like, and those are the stories that you wear as badges of honor. Yeah. Like, I'm always, I don't have any tattoos just because my my taste changes so radically quick. You know, like, I, like I'm always concerned if I get something on my arm, I'm like, okay, so, like, strip my skin off because I'm tired of this fucking thing. But I wish that there was, like, some sort of symboling that I could put on my arm that would represent each one of those moments in my career. Yeah, so sure. I could wear that in like like the yakuza. Like I could wear that and walk into a room, and you go, "Oh, this motherfucker had to deal with a flashlight." Like there's, there's like a, there's levels that I've been through. Yeah, they're I called merit badges, dude. There it is. There it is. I was there in the Boy Scouts, so. but yeah, yeah, I wish because it's all those little stories that define me. Yeah, as a creative. Um, and to find my crew, because the 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 team, the times that the team has saved my ass, um, it essentially makes my career, really does. And and when I say this all the time, I'll have uh, clients that'll come to me and they'll see something on my website or they'll see something that I've done and they'll go, "We want to hire you to do this." And I go, "Cool, but you also have to hire twelve other dudes." Or 12 other people because the, the lighting was because of this key grip. Uh-huh. This was because of this person. This was because of that person. Mm-hmm. I'm the guy at the top that's getting all the credit for it. But, you know, I'm the tastemaker. The rest of them were doing all the hard fucking work, man. That's really interesting. I was having a conversation with somebody the other day. And I said, they asked me, why are you always focusing on individual people? And it was a really fair question because, um, you know, we've been we've been trying to, to find emerging image makers and, and really get behind them. Um, and so someone, you know, reached out and, and challenged me on it and said, well, why are you focusing on individual creators uh, when you could put the same amount of effort towards an organization and then the organization could f- develop and train and, 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 and do that? And I said, we, well, we do the organization thing. You know that we do. And it's not that we don't want to continue doing the organizational thing. I think that there's something meaningful that if you invest in enough individual people and give them a a perspective of what it's like to be the person that can influence the lives of others, then what you're doing is seeding the the industry with a bunch of people who realize that as a director, you can not just change the lives of the people around you, but the lives of the people around them and around yeah. them because. Yeah. Directors bring crews, right? And if we can just start to understand that a little bit more deeply, that when we empower the right directors Mm -hmm. and we empower the directors with different perspectives and different, you know, frames of references and different backgrounds, then we start to kind of develop a a, a broader base of storytellers. Mm -hmm. And then we, honestly, we stop getting reboots. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you got to go up higher to get those reboots and stuff. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, but still, yeah. But yeah, I completely agree with you. Like, um, it's my, I'm very lucky at this point because of the show and because of my time uh, in that I now have a lot of director friends mm-hmm. because di- directing is very lonely. Like, it's, it's not when you're actually doing the job, but... Everything at the front end, which is basically the job, which is your prep and everything else, it's very lonely. And it's not often that you get to be on other directors' sets, so you don't really get a point of reference. You're always like, 
you know, maybe you, you uh, are looking at DVD commentaries or behind the scenes videos and you're like, how the fuck does Fincher do this thing? And you're trying to figure all that stuff out because it's a very lonely competitive business. Um, and over the years, the show has really helped with this. I've been able to meet uh, wonderful directors and have them be friends and, and be able to go to their sets and be able to sort of talk about their stuff. But most importantly, each one of these directors comes with their own family and their own creative family, mm. which is like wardrobe people, makeup artists, like all the people that really, really fucking make movies what they are. Um, and so who was I just talking? I was just talking to someone recently and they were talking about their cinematographer who was, I'm not going to drop the name, but it was a director that I was talking to recently. And he was saying how he was hurt because he was on set one day um, and his cinematographer was getting ready to take a picture and he had his whole crew. He had like his gaffers and grips and everything. And so the director was like, Hey, you want me in the shot? And he goes, no, no, no. I just want, I want a shot of my, my family on this thing. He's very hurt by it. He's very hurt. Oh, I'd be, I'm hurt for him. Yeah, Jesus. He's very hurt by it. Oh man. But it was, it, it's fascinating. The families that come with these and, and how tight knit these, these people get and how, um, and integral these folks are in the creative process for all this stuff. I don't necessarily agree with him, like, you know, ushering out the director out of that photograph, <laughs> but I get the family unit that comes with it. And so you're right. If you're empowering individuals, you're not just empowering the, the head, the figurehead, which is the marketing head, you know, like, right. you know, uh, Deacons, you know, like Deacons does, all, I, like his crew does all that stuff. Right. Yeah, I think I saw that for the first time um, maybe a handful of years ago, just joining Fujifilm for the first time and, and kind of seeing, I was, I, was, I was brought in to the still division and I went to my first like ASC award dinner. It's yeah. like the, one of the only handful of ones I've ever been to. And it's, it, it was interesting to see the cadres of, of people that, that, followed these cinematographers um who were well known in their own right but it was like it was like jets and sharks you know kind of like walking <laughs> around right but it wasn't like a, a like a weird machismo kind of thing it was just you just saw who was with who yeah and it was fascinating to me because i realized that they had worked together longer than i'd been alive yeah that's crazy right and it's insane to me to think that that they've made movies that i have watched as a kid and all that kind of stuff and then and then to know that that's the same group that just keeps doing it together mm -hmm. that's 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 awesome right and where i want and i hope and i wish and i pray and all those other things but i see that that's awesome but i also see that 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 creates like a like a barrier for other people too yeah you stuck in into nepotism and all that and like Yes, I think so. But I think that we're living in a time period right now where there's so much content that's needed, mm -hmm. so much stuff that's needed out there that um, I think that there's so much more room for voices right now that could be creating their own little clusters. Because at the and it, I don't want to seem like it's so exclusive because it's not. Uh, typically what it ends up being is that your keys are your regulars that you can trust mm -hmm. all the time. And then you're always swapping out the other positions. Right. So those positions are, are flexible. Yeah. They're trying to find their own families. 
Exactly. And they bring in a lot of youth. Right. Like there's some, the, the, the power of working with youth is that it reinvigors you right. as, a, as a person. So like whenever I bring in an assistant, I'm always like excited about it because their excitement or me explaining my process. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. That's how I did shit. Oh, wait. Okay. And so then it starts to redefine your yeah. process when you work with yeah. younger folks. So I don't want to say that it's super, super exclusive, but I understand that like this business can be that way. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's everything in good measure, right? I think that there are a lot of individuals in this industry that really try to, to look outside of the typical areas to, to bring people in, you know, mm -hmm. and I respect that. And I think that there's always, um, groups of people who, who want to expand, uh, the, uh, open up the playbook, you know, and expand the map a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think that our responsibility, you know, going back to kind of like this idea of brand, right? I think our responsibility is to think about how we can incorporate different, different storytellers, but just different perspectives in those stories as well. Yeah. You know, um, and, and for me, it's kind of, um, it's kind of interesting too because I relate a lot to to the idea that there's a lot of stories out there that don't get to be told or don't get to be get to be seen um, because I kind of growing up in 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 the U.S. and in California, you know, I was born here, but I was always kind of like in between this idea of. Uh, not Asian enough <laughs> and and not white enough, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I kind of existed in this in this razor's edge. And looking at movies growing up, I always related to to the characters in the films, but I didn't relate to to their experiences because I didn't have those experiences growing up, you know? Yeah. And I think that there's something really, really important in being able to visualize yourself in the things that you're watching because that that that's like subconsciously very powerful. Yeah. Right. And, and to think about, um, if I would have had a, a token X that I could have watched that wasn't Jackie Chan or like Jet Li, right. <laughs> right. Right. That, that, that could have been like, <laughs> oh man, that guy's a badass marketing executive, right? I want to be that, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. but then you don't, you don't get that. And, and so when, when I think about being able to be at least influential in the in the Fujifilm sphere mm -hmm. of shaping content and 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 empowering other other individuals to be involved in in finding storytellers for us. That's why I'm so passionate about it. Mm -hmm. Because maybe we hit the jackpot with one person and they just send it, you know, and they have an incredible career and then they become like the next Martin Scorsese or whatever it is. That would be rad. Yeah. You know, so huge. Huge. And we're seeing that we're starting to see that change. Yeah. Now, which is interesting. And it's, it's, I'm always looking for honest stories that come from an honest place. And anytime you feel like there's a storyteller that's empowered to tell a story, mm -hmm. that's what it really resonates with me. And, um, it's, uh, it comes back to food for me. Like I love, uh, going over to a, a, like a, a stranger's house to have a meal mm -hmm. and then just sort of observing the heritage, the culture, the family structure, the friend structure that's all surrounding the food and surrounding that kind of thing. I've always loved that. It's really funny. Um, when I first joined the company a few years ago, we it was right during holiday. Um, I remember my first week was during Christmas Eve, the week of Christmas Eve. And the office started to shut down. And so I walked over to my boss's um, office at the time, his name's Eugene. I was like, knocked on his door. I was like, hey, you, uh, you celebrate Christmas? 
He's like, uh, no. I was like, you, well, it's Christmas Eve. Uh, I don't want to spend it alone. You want to go grab some drinks? <laughs> <laughs> you know? And so we went and got drinks and, um, I got to know him a little bit better. And then that became like a tradition where every Christmas Eve we'd like, you know, awesome. go get drinks. And then we started to bring other, uh, Japanese coworkers in. And then like the last one before he, he moved back to Japan, we did, um, like a like a Christmas Eve dinner, I I basically suckered them into doing like Christmas Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> but dude. then we did like a white elephant gift, like exchange and stuff like that. But it was amazing because they had never done a gift exchange. Oh wow! Right, they had never really um, had the concept of ex- exchanging gifts and then like stealing them. right and and it was so fun and then you got to know them really well because of that because you got to see just them relate to something that was so weird and foreign but so fun yeah 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 Yeah, and then and then that's when i started learning more about like them and their culture and that kind of stuff so you're absolutely right when you get people around a table and you eat yeah dude it's awesome dude it's like this it's it's the biggest hack <laughs> it really <laughs> for and I, I talk about it a lot on the show because it's one of the most powerful tools in my kit is just being able to like bring people in and it doesn't ha- you don't have to be the world's best chef yeah I mean you could fucking order in food you could just make a situation that's fun and you bring folks in and, and everybody gets hungry I don't care what language you speak everybody gets hungry and we usually get hungry about the same time of the day <laughs> you know. <laughs> So if you need to connect with your enemy, it's just like, you're hungry? Yeah, I'm hungry. Want me to make you a sandwich? Huh. Yeah, all right. You know, and it changes. <laughs> changes the entire vibe, man. I've never thought about making a, a dinner for my enemy. Yeah. Yeah. Think about that. Catch him off guard right at that moment, too. At the peak. And you go, you know what I want to do to you? What? I want to make you a sandwich. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? You know? They just go like, what are you going to fucking put? You can watch me make the whole sandwich. There won't be any rat poison in it. You can see. I'll do it right here in front of you. I'm going to make you the best fucking sandwich out of spite. No, I'm going to make you the best sandwich. You're going to love it. And then, you know, maybe we won't have to fight afterwards. You know? Has it, how, how many times does that work? Often. Really? Often. Oh, you're better at that than I. Often, dude. Often. Okay. Like. If you're ever in a stressful situation, it really, I mean, sure, you could take someone out for drinks, but that's like, there's cash that's involved, mm-hmm. who's who's picking up the tab. But if you're like, hey, I'm going to make you something, I'm going to make you a meal, or I'm going to make you this thing, do you want to sit down and have this? And if, you know, obviously, if you guys are like, you know, knives out throats and- Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. You know, but if it's just bullshit, like if it's a coworker and you guys are kind of like, you know- in the thick of it and it's, it sucks and you're just like let's just squash this shit let's go talk ultimately what you're doing is you're getting an opportunity to actually talk and most of the time I find that I'm usually heated or in arguments with folks uh, because I don't understand where they're coming from oh what was the last argument you were in <laughs> what was the last argument I was yeah. in yeah I was was in an argument like yesterday <laughs> uh, I mean I like um creative argument like a heated argument or just a stick because i mean this is interesting i've started talking about it on the show i've been going to a therapist because of this business right and i've been processing this business with it and uh she said to me recently uh she goes did it ever occur to you 
that all your creative endeavors usually start from either a source of frustration or anger. And I was like, what? And she goes, yeah. And I go, hmm. And I go back and I think of all the really great things where I'm just like, oh, no, fuck that guy. He can't tell me how to do that. I'll do this. Or I'll, no, I'll do it this way. <laughs> and it's always been that way for me. So um, there was a period of time where arguments and creative arguments and creative conflict was leading to really great results. Mm -hmm. um, I'm now sort of at this point in my middle age where I'm like, I don't like my blood pressure where it is. Yeah. Like I'm trying to change that. I also trying to be a little bit more aware of the repercussions of that um but in general i don't know when's the last time you got in an argument with somebody like a knockdown drag out fight like are we talking fisticuffs or no we just no no like, okay. like 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 raising your voice yeah 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 when's the last time you got in a yo-yo match i uh, um honestly i, I it, it that's I, that, that's why i ask because I, I i can't i can't say that i've gotten like raise my voice mad at somebody um, recently I've been yelled at a whole lot. <laughs> I've been yelled at a whole lot. Um, but I think that I think just me being growing up, uh, I was always really angry. Yeah. I was always a very, very angry person. Um, yeah. had a big temper. Yeah. And, um, just kind of at some point, you know, you, you were talking about that, that insecurity, um, that hit me really young. Mm -hmm. So when in my, in my early twenties, I was really cocky, really arrogant. Mm -hmm. and had this this air about me where like you know you can't tell me what to do because i know everything and then kind of just kind of kept that for a bit mm -hmm. and then got really humbled um because i thought i you know you, you, i was i was checking boxes off in my life and kind of wanted to 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 know that i had hit all these little milestones and then you know had a girlfriend got married got divorced and then wow. like yeah. things just started kind of just starting to kind of um, head head down into a place where like oh you know like put all this effort in and this is where I'm at right now and I kind of had to rebuild from there yeah um, and then all of the time that I'd spent thinking that I was doing the 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 thing that would check the box off it actually just made me realize I wasn't checking off any boxes I was just actually just stamping a plate like a license yeah. plate yeah yeah it was there was no personal growth there there was no 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 thing that I could go back and go, oh, I really built something there. And I, and, and that was what was sobering, mm -hmm. you know? And so all of that, all of that, um, came from, from this like desire to be better than other people mm -hmm. and then being better than other people. And like, that's when I wanted to make myself like heard and like my voice heard and all that kind of stuff too. Um, that's when I was getting, that's when I got loud. And then, um, yeah. I think when, when I turned like 37, 38, um, started to kind of really ask more questions more. Yep. Learned how to ask questions. Like really learned how to listen and ask questions and, and, and get to know people by, by asking good questions. Mm -hmm. And then I think that that's where I started to understand more that, oh, I got angry because I wanted people to hear me. But if you ask a good question, they still hear you. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. so then, yeah, I think so. I, I, I get frustrated a lot um, because I want so much for things to 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 fall into place. Mm -hmm. You know, we were um, we were talking about 
teaching filmmaking. Like we wanted to take, so it's so easy for photography, right? You take people on a photo walk, you put a camera in their hands and they can learn the rule of thirds. They can learn white balance. You know, all these like basic skills. And they, in an hour, they can feel like they've made some progress in becoming a better image maker. It's really fun. Yeah. Watch someone go, I don't want to make an image. And then at the end of it go, whoa, I made this image, you know? And it's like the same image that every other person makes when they're first starting, but they're so proud of it. Right. Exactly. And so, um, we were trying to figure out how we could do that for young filmmakers. So I was talking about, um, in camera transitions and, and, and teaching people how to see the world and make an in camera transition. And I, and I was trying to explain it to the team and I wasn't using the right words. And like, I was pulling up all the wrong examples and then I just felt so dumb. Right. And I just got frustrated. And then I stopped for a second, open up trusty old TikTok, (laughs) (laughs) And then in like 10 minutes, just showed them every transition that we could teach and help people become like a little bit closer to understanding how to make a movie, right? Sure. And they're like, well, we don't want to teach how to make movies. Like, no, we don't. We just want to teach like techniques. And then that was that's where that's where we kind of finally came to a rest on stuff. But yeah, I get frustrated because sometimes I want so much to see the 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 thing that I'm thinking about come to life. That's hard. That's directing, dude. That's hard. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard, man. Like trying to figure out how to <laughs> trying to figure I just talked about this on one of the the recent episodes trying to figure out how to farm an idea <laughs> right because it's not like uh there's just this vault in my head where I go and idea time boop, 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 boop. like you're pulling these from the ethos you're pulling these from experiences or life lessons and you're you're finding these themes so like how do I do that fucking frustrating then how do I take this image that I've projected on the back of my skull that is what I think this thing's going to be that has never been shot before and has never been visualized before. How do I verbalize the details for this thing to translate it so that maybe I get 60% of what's been projected on my, on my skull. That's directing. It's incredibly frustrating. And dealing with that frustration, I think the few times that I've gotten heated have been, my fault and the, the the and you don't know it's your fault when you're there and, and this is years ago we're talking like 10 15 years ago um but when i the one time i yelled on set the one time i was a baby on set was my fault because i hadn't explained my vision enough to the person that was trying to do it and I assumed that they knew what I was talking about. Hmm. And when I showed up and it was completely wrong and they were very defensive and I got upset, I realized right after I started to yell, I was like, oh, A, this is destructive. And what I'm doing has a ripple effect. Yeah. And then B, um, this is because of my, this is my, this is my fucking fault because it's my job to communicate with these people and inspire these people to do what I think they should be doing. And if he didn't get it from me, it's because I didn't give it to him. And so when you start to learn that stuff quickly, um, you start to realize that uh, most of the time that you're getting angry is because you're not doing the job correctly. Is there, is there a, a bit of like failure mode insecurity in there too? I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when it's earlier in the game. And you have eyes on you and you're looking around and you're still trying to maintain 
that illusion yeah. of like, hey, I've got all the fucking answers. Right. And once you get over that, once, once you, and I think that's why people surround themselves with the same teams all the time, mm-hmm. is that you sort of build this repertoire of like, <laughs> you know what I look like in my underwear. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You, yeah. Like, you're at this point where you're, you're like, um, it's okay if I tell you that I don't know what's going on because you know that the, that's the process. Um, yeah. You, you surround yourself with people who have your shorthand. <laughs> that too. Yeah. Where like I could be on set and go, and I could make grunt noises and they're already like mounting the ND. Yeah. And yeah. 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 They know what's going on. That's also very helpful. Yeah. You know, um, it's funny. The, the, the thing that I'm so back to earlier, I was like, Oh, I'm not gonna be great at this. Right. And mm-hmm. the reason I kept saying that was because, um, mastery and success, there's, there are two different things. Mm-hmm. Um, you could be very successful, make a ton of money, but you could never have mastered what you've done. Yeah. And I think that my dad put in my head really early on that you've got to master something. You, you must master something. If you will leave, if you leave this earth having mastered nothing, then I would be disappointed in you. That's a lot of fucking anxiety. dude. It's weird because not even that. No, I'm like, he was like just such a cool dude. Cause he cared so much. He knew me, right? Yeah. He knew that like, I had this like voracious appetite to try so many different things. And he put me through all these like gauntlets in life. Um, like I would like be like, Hey dad, I want to build model airplanes. Yeah, sure. Hey dad, I want to go and uh, take karate. Yeah, sure. <laughs> hey dad, I'm going to go wrestle. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. And at some point, you know, like in my, my, my mid twenties, he sat me down. He's like, you are one of the most vivacious and you've got a voracious appetite for new things. You want to always learn new things. One point you're going to learn something and you're, it's going to stick. That's when you got to realize what you want to stick with. You know, and right now you think it's photography and right now you think it's this and that just realize at some point you're going to get bored and don't be upset that you get bored with it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's valuable. Right. And so, um, I remember I'm, uh, I, I'm just what, 34, 35. I'm in the, in, in the, in the point now where, where I'm hitting the, uh, the, the middle part of my time at Mac group and then get to Fujifilm. And there's a span of time where I go to this one bar in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, mm-hmm. every other day. And I'm going in and I've got headphones in and I got my computer and like everyone waves at me. It's like a $4 shot and they just keep it. Like they keep filling it up. It's like a double $8 <laughs> shot. It's like a wild turkey. You know, I get drunk on 20 bucks and it's every other night that I'm just doing this. And I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm working, I'm writing. And then all of a sudden, like it clicks and I find out what I'm great at. And what I'm great at is listening to a team's ideas or someone's ideas or having a conversation with a group of people and then saying something insane that everyone's like, Hey, that's a good idea. Or you know what? How about this? Mm -hmm. And then you just end up building something, you know? So the first time I saw that really come to play was, um, we were, we had just not announced a camera and we were sitting celebrating, um, before the pandemic having drinks and we were talking about, what if we we gave away some some cameras to some students, mm-hmm. and um, someone someone said, "Well, we've got to have like a, an education program attached to it," and then, and, and started you know stacking it together, and then um, I like, slammed the camera, I was like, "I got it! We're going to call it Students of Storytelling," <laughs> and then just started just, <laughs> just rattling off all these things, and everyone looks at me and goes, "You're crazy." <laughs> 
no sooner than I had said that, the pandemic hits, and then we had 30 students online with us every week in different groups, and it kind of started us down this pathway of just mentorship and empowerment and like finding young creatives, and yeah. it was really, really cool because there's a handful of students that we still talk to, yeah. you know, and then we've watched them grow, and like we're going to have them, you know, in, 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 in future projects and all this kind of stuff, and now we're like on different versions of what students of storytelling could be like, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and I think that that's what really, really kind of clicked in me was this idea that you can see ideas from other people's words and mm-hmm. then shape them and then you get everyone involved. And then like, like that's when it's fun, right? When you start getting everyone involved and everyone excited about the mm-hmm. one thing that we all thought about. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's why I think, uh, um, the, that's my creative process. That's why I relate to you guys so much. Mm-hmm. I can't make an image in the way you guys make images, but I can certainly relate very deeply to the, how it's much it sucks when you can't do what you really want to do. Well, but also what you're doing there is essentially what I do there as a director. So it's it's the same thing. And making an image is <laughs> making an image is like putting meat in the pan. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like it's like if you're making a meal, that's like when you when you're cooking the when you're cooking the protein. That that's right. where the protein goes in. The job is like first coming up, what are we going to eat? Then it's like, okay, what do I have to prep? How do I prep? Then understanding like, all right, how's the timing of all this stuff sort of play out? All right, I don't want something cold on the plate, and I want to make sure it all sort of works the same fucking way. And then it's also like, who am I going to invite over to eat this? And who am I going to have this be a part of? And then who are those people? And then, so if you're thinking about what you do and what I do as making a meal, it's the same fucking thing, man. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll come up with an idea. Like me and my writer, we do this every time we are on the phone. We have this, we've given ourselves sort of permission to say something dumb. And we always, <laughs> you can hear us on the phone, like phrasing it where it's like, I know this is the stupid idea. This is a dumb idea. This is the stupid version of this. And we're always setting that up. And it's weird because you still are ashamed of it where you're like, I can't believe I'm saying this, but this. <laughs> and I can't tell you how many of our great ideas have come from one of us going, I can't believe I'm saying this. And then the other person going, no. Right. Right. Like generally stupid, but not completely. This is cool. And then blah, 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 blah. And then you start running down that path. And then I say, no, you got to fucking knock out idea. That it takes skill to be able to listen to people. It takes skill to be able to see those things and hear those things. And it takes skill to sort of reformulate those things while sort of placating, not even placating, that's not the right word, while stroking the ego of the folks that you're with so that they don't feel... um, uh, the risk of them feeling stupid by saying something that they yeah. shouldn't have said. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cre- creating space for them to be able to express a thought without any judgment. There he goes. You, much more elegant way of saying that. I, I, I work in marketing. We work, we write pretty words. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a caveman with words sometimes. Um, <laughs> uh, Dude, this is great, man. This has been a good conversation. This is why I wanted to have you on the show. Oh, thanks, man. You know, like, like I like your, philosophy on people i like your philosophy on learning and um i'm curious i mean not to blow smoke up the brand's ass with this but fujifilm i'm curious to see where they're going because whenever i think fujifilm i go back to my still days Mm -hmm. and i think of 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 film stock i Mm -hmm. always do Mm -hmm. and um it's kind of like 
how do I equate this? Fujifilm for me is kind of like during the during my youth when it was like Metallica and then Megadeth and then like Anthrax. <laughs> Fujifilm's kind of Megadeth for me, where it's like Dave Mustaine. He might be a little pissed off that he's not Metallica anymore, but his guitar licks are fucking sweet, and there's something weird going on in here. Right, and so that's kind of how I feel with Fujifilm, where I'm just like, what are you guys doing? And what are you guys bringing out in the market right now? And there's a prestige that I still think comes with that name. So uh, I'm curious. That's why I'm looking. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that was a good sales pitch, but that's what I was thinking. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, it, it's funny. I hear that a lot. I hear that a lot. We're, we, we're a brand with great brand recognition, but people never know what we're doing in the moment. So I don't know if I'm doing a great job or a bad job at marketing. No, but, it's not what I'm saying. No, 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 no I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, no, so I guess if I were to give a very high level synopsis of Fujifilm today, Fujifilm is a multinational global corporation. We're in, we're in medical, we're mm-hmm. in imaging, we're in um, life sciences. It's, it's, incredible the amount of stuff that we're involved in. We're like, we can make makeup, you know, like we're involved in the makeup, make, making makeup. Weird. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, and it's all because of the film technology that we developed. Wild. Yeah, the, the ability, uh, who, who would have thought? The ability to layer really thin layers of thing on an emulsion would pan out into things like beer filters and stuff. Wild. Yeah, yeah. So, so, um, the company itself is fascinating. And I work in a division inside of a part of the company that is one third of, of the rest of, of, of imaging, right? So we've got um, photo imaging, which is like your film and Instax and you know mm-hmm. your printing devices and paper and chemical. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other two divisions are optical devices, which is our cinema and broadcast lenses, and then binoculars and and we make a projector, you know, just just that type of stuff, mm-hmm. business solutions. And then we have electronic imaging, which is our digital cameras and lenses. Mm-hmm. And I guess about ten years ago, someone had a great idea to start making um, digital cameras at Fujifilm that had a different different. Uh, I guess, I guess recipe or, 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 or special sauce where they combined a retro feel and look with incredible image quality. Yeah. yeah. And we kind of have this reputation. We've had this reputation of just knowing, knowing color just because of our film, Yeah, you know, being able to, to, to take an image, make it and then have wonderful color reproduction. It's crazy because some of the people that designed the films actually helped design some of the film simulations in our cameras, right? Like they're the same person. Mm. They've been at the company that long. Jeez. It's like one guy was involved in making the films. He actually came to the US and saved like their frontier b- printer business and then went back to Japan and made the film simulations. Like that's it, a, that, that, a storied <laughs> career, you know? Oh my God. And so we have a wonderful legacy of just image, uh, image making in the engineers. And I think where we, where we come from is a really good indication of where we're going. Mm. Um, if I look at what we, for example, what we released uh, two weeks ago um, with our new camera, the X-H2S, um, 
it's the first camera that I think I would be comfortable saying that a image making a motion picture professional or independent could pick up that camera and go, you know what? I could use this camera. Hmm. Right. Um, it's, it's, it's got all of the, 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 the requisite things that someone could go, Hey, low budget stuff. Awesome. B camera. Awesome. Yeah. Right. It, 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 it ticks off a lot of boxes. I think it's a good, it's a good, I guess it's a good something to look at and go, Hey, if they've made this today, I'm really excited about the things that they're going to make tomorrow. Yeah. 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 And being a part of the company where, um, I get to call Japan and go, Hey, so here's what I'm hearing. Here's the feedback that I got from these cinematographers, or here's what I saw today, you know, in, in just market market trends and news. Um, here's the technology that's happening right now. And being able to have someone on the other end of that, listen and, understand or try to understand and then ask me for more proof or more results or more information and having to go find it. I, I, I think that's, that's something that I really, really value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I took the job at Fujifilm because I wanted to be in a position where I would be able to help shape the way that we make images. And it took a number of years, but I feel like I'm being able to contribute to that conversation internally now. And it's given me a lot of hope for where we're going to be in a number of years as we continue to make imaging devices. Well, I'm curious for sure, man. Yeah, it's 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 a lot of talking around a subject, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but we've got a ton of passionate engineers that care so much about making and making an image efficiently, right? And making an image that that everyone can celebrate. Mm-hmm. And um, my job is to take the features and the specifications and, 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 and all the stuff they put into that device and wrap a story around it mm-hmm. and wrap around uh, a, 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 a personality around it and give people an opportunity to look at it and go, wow, I can make something with that. And that's so fun yeah. because every few years we get to do that and we get to do it with a piece of technology that for, for the time that I've been at Fujifilm and even before then, when we come out with cameras, it's like, it's it's fun. It's exciting, and people always want to know what that technology is going to do. And I'm I, I like I like being a part of that, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm fortunate because I also get to to be able to contribute to the brand in a way that I don't think I would be able to contribute in ways uh, in, in similar ways in other brands that are that are in the camera space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, I don't have an engineering background, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't get an MBA. I went to school for theater, right? And it confounds me that someone trusted me enough to be like, hey, you know what? We're going to bring you into marketing. Oh, and by the way, three years later, hey, we're going to make you a vice president. (laughs) It's crazy crazy to me, right? It's absolutely absurd, but it's like this idea that, okay, they they see something here, Mm -hmm. and I'm not crazy, but also in knowing that I'm not crazy, like I see other people's crazy too. And I love that. And so bringing all those people in to be a part of that conversation has been really fun for me. It's kind of genius though. I mean, it's like the right recipe for it because you don't want, you don't want the engineer doing the fucking marketing. (laughs) You know, I know engineers. You don't want those guys to do the marketing. Right. Uh, So like it, it's smart. And I think what I'm fascinated with what you're doing, it's the uh, love and it's the attention for the storytellers and the individual storytellers. And I think that is such a smart way to curve in on this thing because 
we're starting to get out of the technical and we're starting getting to getting back into stories. And I, I say this all the time. My job is to experience something and then try through the, the years of lessons on tricks and ideas and um, techniques to make you live what I experienced, even if it's just a portion of it. So like, I don't want you to also fall on the ice to crack your skull open, yeah. but I'm going to try to get you as close to, to there as possible as a, as a viewer, as an audience member. And it could be a Fujifilm camera that does that. It could be, it's the tools mm -hmm. that help mm -hmm. me get to that point. And then the genius of you supporting artists like that is that that becomes the branding. Yeah. Like that, that experience then becomes the branding for, for that equipment. I mentioned Simon Sinek earlier, and when I was first starting to kind of figure out like marketing and, and branding and all kind of stuff, um, I watched one of his first videos that I ever came across. It was like, start with why. Mm -hmm. um, and he says this one thing, and it, and it stuck with me, is people don't buy what you make. They buy why you make. Yeah. And the 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 overall thrust behind that is... A lot of brands like to sell on feature. We have the fastest thing. We have yeah. the biggest thing. We've got the strongest thing. Um, but the brands that we start to pay attention to are the ones that we developed this item over a decade of process and we studied. And you know what? Half of us actually do this process and it's handcrafted and it's handmade. And you know, if you want to be a part of this group that cares about this process, then you might want to try our product. Right, we relate to the thing that they're making, right? And so, our approach to storytelling and our approach to to storytellers is this idea that we want to create with them, and we want to create a forever with them, right? So our our kind of positioning and 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 where we stand as a brand um, is this idea of creating forever, right? And it's an open statement for us to be able to approach it and re and, and and look come back to it with with a new sense and new vision every time we come and see it. So creating forever could be, you know what, you made an incredible film that is going to last forever. Mm -hmm. Creating forever could be the, the act of just creating over and over and over until you're until you're never done. Mm -hmm. And then creating forever could just making a making a, a a story that 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 opens up a storyline that doesn't ever end yeah right so this this idea motivates us to find our create forever and it's um something that that i believe in because it's something that for me until until i started to really understand like finite endings you really don't understand that those stories that 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 end and the ones, the stories that end and, and mean something to you, um, you've got to find other stories like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's it's it's a personal thing for me, you know. Yeah. Well, I can see it. <laughs> it's obvious. I mean, when we first met, that's why you're here. Well, thanks. I, 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 seriously, seriously, I am so flattered. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, literally li listening to, I, I did my homework, right? So I'm like, like listening to podcasts. I'm like, Jesus, what the hell am I doing? There's no reason, there's no reason I should be in this podcast right now. Come on, man. Come on, man. This is an NPR, dude. This is, this is hanging out with people that, I've said this since the beginning. The show is about hanging out with people that I want to hang out with. That's it's, all it, it is, man. It's funny. Um, I got, uh, we, we took a, a phone call from a, a, a handful of uh, young creatives um, to pitch us on, on on some projects, and they all pitched together. And 
I knew a couple of them and they'd been, they'd been working with us, um, in increasing fashion up until that point. Yeah. And if I ever felt like an imposter for the first time in a very long time, um, I realized that watching these, these, these young creatives pitch us, it made me realize that I, I, I am not, it, it made me understand that the feeling of, of, of inadequacy and the feeling of like being an imposter, not good enough, whatever it is, was completely erased because I just watched these three or two individuals freaking send it, right? And they would never have been able to do that two or three years ago. And yeah. they just got up there and they were like, here's what I'm going to do. And they just went through just their pitch deck. And I was like, where'd you come up with that? <laughs> yeah. Right. And yeah. it's like, you, that's what is awesome is because you take these young creatives through like a journey where you try to try to ask them the right questions and try to get them to, to believe in the right things and try to get them not only just to ask for what they're worth, yeah. but also to kind of stretch what they're going to do and ask bigger questions and the work they're going to do that means something. And watching them present made me feel like less of an imposter. That was rad. And that's why I think all of us at the company and, and the, the team that I get to work with believe in this so much because we got to see they were all there. They all knew the same people I knew, right? And they all got to watch those same people present something that two or three years ago, they probably wouldn't have been able to know what the, the right side of or the right end to present from, mm-hmm. you know? And it was like, oh, okay, we're not crazy. This whole team is not crazy. We, we, we can see this. And it, it was cool. Let's give me it. Well, dude, um, I think we should end. Yeah, sure. This was good. Nice. This is great. It was great to have you on the show. I'm, uh, I'm happy that you came out. I'm happy that you were here in person. <laughs> For sure. That's important. Um, and I'm happy I knew you, buddy. Yeah. Thank you for being on the show. Yeah, we, I mean, honestly, thank you for having me. I'm really glad I got to meet you. And I think that if this is the type of conversation we've had two weeks into a friendship, yeah. seriously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bar safari, dude. Let's do it. <laughs> There it is. Today's episode. What did I tell you? What did I tell you? You guys trust me, right? He's a cool dude. I really enjoy Victor. He's really fucking sweet. He's really awesome. Uh, And these guys just care. Um, All I've heard from him since we've teamed up over the past month is let me know who these great new photographers are. Like, keep an eye on the youth. Keep an eye on folks that uh, uh, need attention, need to... uh, you know, get sort of uh, re- recognized for their work because Fujifilm seems pretty committed to that. So I'm going to say this to all of you listening. If you're a photographer out there, if you want to get your work seen, um, write to me on Instagram. Send me some of your stuff. Send me some of your work. Send me some of your things and let's take a look at it. Um, we'll try to highlight some of uh, these photographers, young photographers on my Instagram account. Maybe we'll highlight some folks on the show. Uh, Get ready to hear from a lot of very young filmmakers, uh, young photographers that Fujifilm is sending our way. We're going to put them on the show. We're going to talk to them about their work. We're going to talk about the current state of being a photographer in today's industry. Uh, It's very exciting stuff. Um, Lots of fun things on the way. Lots of fun things on the way. I'm telling you right now. Um, So thank you everybody for listening. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you again, Victor. Thank you again, Fujifilm, for supporting In Love With The Process. Um, And uh, fucking A, man. 
it's been a lot of work going on behind the scenes. You know, I've been I'm promising you guys that we're doing some cool shit here. Uh, and uh, I appreciate everybody that listens to the show. Do me a favor. Those of you who bought a pin, send me photos of it. I'd love to see where'd you put your pin. I actually have my pins on my bag that holds my new Fuji camera. I got this really sweet little uh, camera bag. It's funny. Gina and I both bought camera bags for these rigs, right? Because you got to protect the gear. And so <laughs> we're two different types of shooters, right? Gina's like more of a modern. She used to do nightlife stuff. So she went out and got one of those backpack style bags. <laughs> I fucking hate those bags because it's a backpack. So you got all these straps and stuff. So stacking it on top of other cases is always a pain in the butt. And they open from the inside. They don't open from the outside. So like you have to put the bag down, zip the bag out. And the zipper process is a thing. So it's really hard to just grab and go. I always struggle with them. She's like, well, what kind of bag are you going to buy? And I went out and I bought this really cool. It's like, um, it's almost like a news journalist bag. It's got just a Velcro flap on it. You throw it over your shoulder. I love it. It's made of um, waterproof material. It's almost like a corduroy material, which is cool. And I could just reach in, pull out lenses, toss them back in the bag. It's just from my history back in the day when we used to do beta cam shoots and just have one of those like Porter Brace bags over your shoulder, toss it down, flip it open, and take things out. That's my game. That's what I love. Um, and I really dig this kit. I'll try to put a a picture of it up online so you guys can see um but uh yeah cool gear episode i know you guys have been begging me for it um hope you guys enjoyed it lots on the way lots of new guests lining up some surprising guests on the way um and tell your friends to listen to the show let's get more listeners guys let's get more uh let's get more fucking artists interested in in love with the process because the more that listen to the show the more i can bring to you the bigger the guests can be um anyway that's it i'm rambling love you guys and as always i will see you next tuesday